Welcome to the River Tree Canal Fulton podcast stream. We're excited to be entering Advent together. Our series this year is called Prepare the Way, and we're looking at the life of John the Baptist, asking what it means to not only be prepared for the coming of Jesus, but also what it means to be a person who is sent to call the world to prepare for the coming King. And so we pray you enjoy it. You can find everything that's happening at River Tree Canal Fulton at our website, RivertreeCanalFulton.com. And we especially want to invite you and your family and friends to join us for our Christmas Eve service. That's December 24th at 3 p.m. at The Rock. We're going to have a great time together and we'd love for you to be with us as we celebrate the arrival of Christ. Enjoy Advent and enjoy the sermon. I'm really excited uh, to be stepping into the Advent season with you. Now, uh, I grew up in South Louisiana, so I grew up around a lot of churches that did things like Advent, but I didn't go to one. And so every time we get to this time of the year, I always try to do kind of a little primer about what it is we're doing and why. Uh, because some of you might have grown up in churches that did things like Advent and Lent, as, as well as the big feasts of Christmas and Easter and Pentecost. And some of you are like, I don't know what any of that is. I feel like you just spoke French to me, and I don't speak French. Uh, so let me let you into something that's really beautiful about what we see in Scripture and how that's carried forward in the church. You see, when God began to do amazing things among the people, one of the things he called the church to do, actually Israel back then, is he called the people to remember it by, by basically structuring their time around the great works of God. And so when you read the Scriptures in the Old Testament, you'll see that they will have festivals and feasts. There'll be uh, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of, of Weeks, the Feast of Booths. All of these sound weird, but they were markers of the people as they marked off and remembered and kind of shaped their lives around the fact that God had done incredible things in their midst. They built into their calendar with rhythms of, of planting and harvest. Also, there's this rhythm of remembering the works of God. And the primary idea behind that is really simple. Something that, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking out on his name. Uh, the purpose-driven guy, Rick Warren. In his book, The Purpose-Driven Church, uh, the first chapter of it is just basically said it's not about you. The calendar, the idea of building your calendar around the works of God is this reminder that, that we are enveloped into a larger story of what God is doing in the world. That God is a God who created the world with intention and is redeeming the world with intention, that God is an intentional God, and everything that he does, he's doing with this, this invitation for us to participate in it, to know, to, to not only benefit from it, but to be a part of that work in the world. And as the people of Israel built their calendar around it, it was this reminder calling the people back to being who they were made to be. The Christian church adopted this very early, uh, first with just the idea of meeting on the Lord's Day, of meeting on Sundays, uh, putting the day of the resurrection as a weekly rhythm of gathering together. But very early in the second and third century, you start to see larger things begin to emerge, that the idea of celebrating Easter, celebrating the day of the resurrection, as well as Christmas, the birth of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus. And then they begin to build around it of saying, what does it mean for us to be a people who wrap our lives around Jesus because he's the point, he's the center. 
His life shapes our life. His works shape who we are. They tell us what it means to be who God has made us. And so anytime you get into the calendar conversations, people get caught up in all of the motions of that. And when we light these candles and we wear these colors and we do these things. And all of those things are fine and good, but all of those things are meant to point to Jesus in the most simple way. To say we are part of a story that God is telling that he is revealing to us that we would know it and be defined by it and participate in it and celebrate it and anticipate it. And Advent is like the new year of the Christian calendar. It's when we circle around, we turn the corner in the life of Jesus. And so uh, the, in a really simple way, the word Advent means arrival. So the season of Advent is about the arrival of Jesus and anticipating the arrival of Jesus. Now, if you know the big story of scripture, you know that there's actually two arrivals of Jesus, right? There's two of them in this story. Um, The two arrivals in the story of salvation are the birth of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And so what's cool about the season of Advent is we actually are anticipating both of those arrivals in this season. It's like we're celebrating and lifting up the fact that one, when When the world was in need of a savior, God sent Christ, his own son, to us to redeem and rescue us. When we were dead in our sins and transgressions, it's then that God loved us to the point where he sent his son. That is something that we rejoice in. But we also are in in a story where Jesus will return again, that there's another arrival ahead of us. There's one behind us, there's one ahead of us, and we're sitting here in the middle. This is what... um, we, we live between these arrivals, between what has already happened and what has not yet happened. This is the position of the church in the story of God. And so we feel a tension in this. And if you uh, ever feel this as a, as a Christian, if you ever feel like you're like, well, man, this is amazing, but I, I long for the day when, when what has started finishes, you know, where, where what I believe in in faith becomes sight, where Jesus redeems all things and rescues all things and makes all things new. And there's, there's judgment and death doesn't have the last word, but even death is put under the feet, not only of Christ as the resurrected one, but that we see the world renewed. Like this is the hope of the future that we are anticipating. And so as the church, we sit in between what God has already done and what God will do. And we both have excitement and longing in that place. We're excited because we're in a story where the, the, the end has begun, where Jesus has died and has been raised and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's poured out his spirit, and God is doing these incredible things, and we're getting these glimpses of the kingdom, but we know that every glimpse of the kingdom is just a glimpse. It's just a small part of what God will do when he returns, and everything is made new, and we want that, and we long for that. We, we see what the scriptures say about that hope, and we anchor ourselves in that hope. That's that tension that we feel. And I mean, think about it in some simple ways. Like we, we've been raised with Christ is what the scripture says. That's what we remember when we baptize people, that we were dead in our sins. But in this mysterious way, when Christ was, was raised, we too were raised. But our hope is in the resurrection of the dead, that there will be a day where Christ raises us up in an imperishable body, that everything is made new. We know that Christ has defeated death, but we know that death will be no more on the day when Christ comes. So even as we grieve, and I know, I know even in our community we've had uh, losses this year. The scripture talks about Christians as people who 
they don't grieve without hope because our hope is that death does not have the last word in our faith. That even death will be no more on the day when Christ comes. These are just some of the tensions that we feel and that the season of Advent kind of stands in and says, hey, what does it mean for us to be a people who have seen what God has done and yet are longing for what God will do? In Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Like our faith is anchored in the hope that is coming. And as the church, sometimes we forget, either sometimes we will uh, get so fixed on what God has done that we don't really think about the coming future, or sometimes we long for a future, but we don't remember what God has done because that gives us confidence. The fact that Jesus has died and is raised gives us confidence that he is the first fruit of everything that's coming. It gives us confidence to persevere, to endure, to to walk faithfully, to become single-minded, and even to wrap our lives around Jesus like the calendar encourages us to do. Only people who are sure that they are in a story where Jesus is king and that the king is coming to make all things new, only then do we easily put down other alliances We put down lesser gods and lesser idols and we become single-minded about the one thing that's true and that is that Jesus reigns and he's coming to bring his reign into everything. This is why my favorite hymn of Christmas, and really it's it's not just a, a hymn about the birth of Jesus, it's a hymn about the coming of Jesus, is joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That's not just about baby Jesus, six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus that Will Ferrell talks about. It's about the coming king who comes to reign and the call for the earth to embrace the one who reigns and who will put all things under his feet and will be glorified in all things, who's bringing heaven to earth. This is the joy that we have. And I I love that hymn because in many ways, as we sing it, we're saying, when we say, let every heart prepare him room, we're stepping into the Advent season. What it means to be a people in between what God has done and already done, is to be a people who are always anticipating and preparing. Now, some of you have had weeks of preparations. How many of you were in charge of something for the family meal this week? Right? I I had the joy of not having to be responsible for anything this week. We went to Catherine's parents' house, and between her mom and her aunts and everyone, they had it knocked out. And so it was lovely for me. I had zero preparation work to do. But because of that, um, I didn't get the joy that I often get at my own house. I do a lot of cooking at our house. Uh, and I love cooking for one simple reason. Um, I, I think it's really fun when people eat a meal that you've put a lot of work into. I think there's something beautiful about people enjoying something that you've worked hard to give them. Preparation... Um, and, and like, I'm, I'm the kind of person, for instance, I come from a culture, I'm from South Louisiana, uh, Mondays is Red Beans Day, you might not know that. In South Louisiana, on Mondays, you eat red beans and rice, that's what you do. It's the staple. Uh, tomorrow's Monday, you know what that means? If I want red beans tomorrow, I have to start preparation, because if you ever cooked red beans, what do you have to do today in order to eat red beans tomorrow? Soak those beans. There's always preparation work that goes ahead of us. There's always preparation work. And that's, that's the, the, the kind of the call to the church, is that if Jesus has come and he is coming, 
And what's it mean for us to be a people who are ready, like we sang, like, like a bride waiting for her groom? We, we want to be a church that's ready for you. What's it mean to be that kind of people? Well, when we read the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of his Gospel, he starts off by just saying, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Like the good news, that's what the word Gospel means, is that Jesus is Christ. Uh, the word Christ is not just, it's not Jesus' last name. It actually is the, uh, it is the Greek word where we would get the word Messiah, the idea that God's sent person to us is Jesus. So it is, it's, not, it's not a last name, it's like a, a label. And it labels Jesus as the one who God has sent to do specific things in the world. Now the people uh, in Jesus' day, particularly the people who were of Jewish faith, would have heard that word and immediately tied into the larger story where God was going to send someone to basically usher in the salvation of Israel, to bring Israel from where they were under oppression and tyranny and to bring them into the promise that God had made them because even though Israel had been unfaithful to God in their story, that God had remained faithful and his prophets spoke of the ones that God would send. So when Mark starts off saying, hey, here's the good news of Jesus Christ, he's saying Jesus is the one that God has sent. The good news is that Jesus is coming. The one who they would know as wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is the one that Mark has come to proclaim to them. He's a gospeler. He's the one announcing like a messenger that God has sent Jesus to usher in the fulfillment of his promises. Uh, that's another beautiful thing about this is, is we see that when God is up to something, God sends a messenger ahead of him to announce the good news. That it is standard that God, when he's up to something, doesn't like to be too secret. So like in the, the gospel narratives, as we talk about the birth of Jesus, how he sends an angel, a messenger, to go ahead, to announce, to proclaim. In the Old Testament tradition of God sending a prophet to speak on behalf of God to his people, to prophesy, to call them forward, that God reveals who he is and what he's up to to his people. And specifically, the big things, he sends messengers, he sings he sends gospelers, people to announce good news. Um, for us, this is particularly pertinent because as the church in the world, we are the gospelers. We are the co-laborers, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, that we join God in the work that he's doing specifically in lifting up the fact that Jesus has come to redeem and rescue the world. That is... Uh, a really important thing is even as we talk about this idea of like preparing the way in the Advent season of being someone who prepares the way for God, we recognize that when God, when God is doing something, he sends someone ahead. And when God sends his church in the same way he sends Jesus, that part of that is that we are preparers of the way for what God is coming to do, that God is bringing redemption into all things. And so this Advent, we're going to look at one particular person. We're going to look at John the Baptist. Here's an interesting stained glass of John the Baptist. Um, he is a, a very unique character in the Gospels, but he's also one who is very specifically talked about in all four Gospels. The passage we read today, where it quotes Isaiah 40 about God sending someone as a messenger to prepare the way for Christ, and it's always referring to John 
And it's in all four Gospels, which is a pretty rare thing that all four Gospels use the exact same passage to describe this one person and what their role was in the kingdom of God. You see in this picture, it says, Eki uh, Agnus Dei, which means behold the Lamb of God. They're like That's the, the message that if John had a message boiled down to one thing, is that he was lifting up the eyes of the people off of their circumstances, off of themselves, and onto the one that God was sending and saying, behold him, look at him. Like, don't miss him. Jesus is it. This is the beautiful picture of John as a messenger that speaks to us even as, as what it means to be the church, of being a people who are, who are sent, who are messengers, who are gospelers, who in many ways have been placed where we are in our world to, to lift up the eyes of the people and to say, behold him, look at him, look at Jesus. So we're gonna take a look at John's life to help shape us to think about what it means to be an Advent people, a people who are preparing the way for the arrival of Jesus. Um, one thing that we hear in the words of John and we see in the life of John that we're going to have to embrace in this season is that the best response one can have to the good news that Jesus is coming is to prepare. Like is to get ready. The response that makes sense if the king is coming to town, if the king is going to show up, if he's going to arrive, is to ready yourself. Again, I told you I was with family this week for Thanksgiving. I did not have cooking responsibilities, but I did have other ways that I had to prepare. Uh, I remember the panicked look on my face when we showed up with our two dogs to join my in-law's dog, and all three of them are in their molting shedding season, whatever you want to call it. All of them are dropping fur like it's their full-time job. So that meant part of preparing for a company to come was my job was to make sure that we got all the hair off the floors. Did we get all the vacuuming, all the swiffering? And thank God my son Hunter, for some reason, is obsessed with like the little swiffer duster thing. It's like any moment he was like getting wild. I'd be like, hey, you want a swiffer? Yes. Okay, sweet. <laughs> but part of my preparation, part of how I readied myself was that. The best response that you can have if you know that you have someone who is going to arrive is to prepare. This is what John says is like that common sense thing. That quote from Isaiah, it says, it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Uh, and this is wild because the desert in the Old Testament was, a, it was a, like a place of chaos. It was a place where everything was unsafe, where everything was disordered. It was like the one place you didn't want to go. And there's a voice crying from this place that the Lord is coming and that he's going to make order, that they need to prepare a pathway because he is coming. It goes on in Isaiah 40. It says, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So that messenger is calling for the people to prepare a way. But then you see like prepared or not, the Lord is coming. 
So he's saying prepare a way, like make your preparations, but then he's saying the mountains are gonna be flattened and the valleys lifted up. That this, all of this rugged terrain is gonna be made plain so that the glory of the Lord will be seen. It will become clear as day. Uh, what's beautiful about the, the fact that Jesus is Lord is that it's true whether or not we believe it, whether or not we prepare for it. The coming of Jesus as king to make all things new is true whether you're prepared or not, but the, the messenger who goes ahead calls the people to ready themselves for the arrival of this king. Even here in this passage, you see that the messenger is sent calling the people to be prepared because what's coming is bigger than what the messenger can do. It is something that only God can do. And this is the hope of our salvation, that, that God would do what only he can. Salvation, if it was possible by us, he would have left it to us. It is so far beyond what we are capable of. When he calls us to prepare, he calls us to do what we can do to make way for what only he can do. Repentance, which is what John would say preparation is in light of Christ's coming, Repentance is the work we do in order to welcome the work he will do. Now, repentance in the scripture, it's always connected to sin. It's always connected to rebellion or being out of line with God. But it, it, it is a bigger thing than that. The picture of repentance meaning a full turn, a realignment from the direction I'm facing to the direction God is going. It has to do with our hearts our motives and our actions and our interactions, any part of us that is out of line with the reign and the rule of Jesus, to prepare is to say, God, align me with what you're doing and where you're going. And that means sometimes absolutely walking away from things that we know are sinful. But it also means allowing God into every nook and cranny of how we think and feel, what moves us, how we act and interact. And sometimes it means stopping things and sometimes it means starting things. Repentance is a bigger picture, but it envelops the whole of us. It is something where all of us, and that's where this picture of like preparing a path is such a big picture. I was talking with my friend uh, Jason the other day. He was telling me the story about this tree in his backyard. And this tree, since he's owned this house, has kind of been like, this tree where like, you know there's a problem, but you know it's gonna be an expensive problem to deal with, so you kind of like, just kind of push it aside. So a branch will fall off, or maybe it needs to be trimmed up, or a certain area of it started to die, or maybe it was hanging over the house a little bit. But he was always kind of like, oh, I'm just gonna like trim here, I'm gonna cut back here, um, just to try to, to deal with it, because it was a really big tree. And so finally it got to the point in where uh, he knew something had to be done. He called in like an arborist, and. And they're like, this thing's dead. Like, you keep trying to trim it back, but like, you have to deal with this. We don't need to just trim it here and there. You need to rip it out of the ground because it's dead. There's, there's no better thing to do. And he was like, well, how much is that going to cost? Because <laughs> that's the question, right? And he said, the Lord just began to speak to him about that about how um, in his own life. Sometimes there's things that are big things that would be costly to have to deal with, but they're dead. They're just dead. 
And lots of times what we'll do is we'll try to make small adjustments, trim here, small things there. We'll like tweak life and try to do little hacks to make things a little bit better rather than actually dealing with the big dead thing in the middle of your land that has to be dealt with. When we talk about preparing the way of God, when we talk about clearing a path, what we're not talking about is just the minor adjustments. In some ways, what we talk about is entering a season where we're like, God, if there's a big old fat dead tree in my heart that needs to be dealt with, let's rip it out and make a level place. Like this idea of like just small incremental change versus repentance, it's like two very different things. Because repentance, sometimes it's just acknowledging, hey, there's something in my life that it's, it's dead, it's not bringing life, it's no good, and there's no amount of small adjustments that are gonna deal with it. It's gonna take a major shift. It's gonna take a major turn for me to make this heart like a place where like, if you think about being prepared as like being welcoming, to say, I'm gonna level this thing out. I'm gonna pull out all the things that don't need to be there so that there's space for God to come and do what he wants. Then repentance is, is more than the small tweaks. It is us saying, God, whatever it is, let's deal with it together. And I'll do the work that I can do so that you can do the work that only you can do. I'll acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged. I'll bring to light the things that need to be brought to light. I'll repent. I will, I will turn from these things. I will try to align and to yield myself to you. But God, I need you to come in and do what only you can. That's the life of preparation that God calls his church to. And it's not just, um, it's not just these small things. And it's not just a one-time thing. If you grew up in the kind of church I grew up with, you think about repentance, you think about that's the thing you did before you, you know, like got saved and got baptized and all those different types of things. Or like repentance is the daily call of every Christian to be constantly realigning themselves, constantly calling upon the Spirit of God to say, Holy Spirit, if there's anything in me, if there's anything in me that needs to be changed, uprooted, dealt with, like come Lord Jesus. Have your way. Like, I yield myself to, to you. I love the, the verse when Isaac uh, Watts wrote Joy to the World. The third stanza says, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I like that verse. Because it calls us in some ways to say, he's coming to pour out life. And he can do it now in ways that I haven't experienced and in a way that I won't truly know until the day he comes and does it in every full way. But even now, for me to say, I'm not gonna let the things stay in my life that lead to death and decay and brokenness. Like, I'm not gonna let sin and sorrow grow and infest this land. I'm gonna clear this land out to prepare a way for Jesus to do what only he can. That's the call of this season. Um, yay, super fun. But hope prepares the way for the future to arrive. We don't do that because it's necessarily fun. We do it because we have a hope that when we make room for God to do what only he can, God does what only he can.
If you don't believe that, then think about what God has already done for you. Think about your story, but also think about the story of salvation that we all stand in. That God did all of the things that we could do so that when we were awakened and alivened by the Spirit to even respond, to even just say, God, I need you. I need your life. I need your goodness. I need you to do what only you can. He was like, I've already done it. Let me in there. Let me get my hands to your heart. Let me get my hands to you. He cleanses us and he liberates us. And he lifts us up and he seats us with him. And he provides everything we need and he gives us his presence. He's done all of these things to encourage us, to call us, to hope. Because what's not yet done, he's also able to do it. And if we are people who keep going, who keep repenting, who keep realigning, who keep saying, God, have your way. Man, we become a place where God's future is seen. We become this place where people can sample the power that's coming, the future that's coming, because it's breaking in in all of these little ways in our own life. In just a moment, uh, Cindy and Wanda are going to help us light our first candle of Advent. Um, and as we do that, and if you two want to head up and get ready, you can. Uh, we light candles in the Advent season like as a prophetic way of standing with what the scripture says God's come to do, that, that, that light is going to pierce through darkness, that the darkness won't overcome it. Y'all can come on up. Um, as we light these candles together, there'll be some things that they'll say. There'll be some readings that we'll do together. We're gonna enter into a time of response. Um, but we, we do this because we believe that the light that's entering the world um, it doesn't stand a chance. We prepare room in our own hearts because there's nothing that needs to be uprooted that compares to what God is going to come and do as he brings life to the world. So would you join us in this reading um, together? Your words will be on the screen. We're going to light this candle as we stand and welcome the hope of Christ this Advent season. We are glad, whether we drove in or climbed up, whether we logged on or tuned in, we are glad here in this community with this family. It is a place of joyful hope, of radical welcome. It is a place where together we can wait in wondrous anticipation of the kingdom to come. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of Jacob's God. There, will, there he will teach us his way, and we will walk in his path. Isaiah 2, 3. We light this candle as a sign of our hope our joyous hope that we will be restored. Our faith restored, our strength restored, our confidence restored, our joy restored, as we watch and wait with all God's people for the promise to be fulfilled. 